Welcome to Fanti, beautiful people. <laughs> hey there, beautiful people. Welcome to Fanti. <laughs> Welcome to Fanti, everybody. <laughs> the podcast for all those complex and complicated conversations about the gray areas in our lives. I am author. Uh, in a week, we are published in this book, Jarrett Hill. Um, and that is Trayvell Anderson, who is gaslighting me. Not that. Now, hold on now. Now, hold on. Y'all see what I got to deal with? Live and in color? Anyway, I am Trayvell Anderson, uh, your, your favorite. Um, okay, coming up on the show for our fan tie today, we are talking about... You got it? I don't even know how to describe it, right? Like, it's... Yeah. Right. It's sort of kind of about digital blackface. It's sort of kind of not... Just stay tuned. I promise it's going to be interesting. But first, as you all know, as Jared already said, because he doesn't know how to follow the script, we have a book coming out in a week from today when we are recording this. We record on Tuesdays, as you all know. Okay. And in a week on September 19th, our book, Historically Black Phrases, from I Ain't One of Your Little Friends to Who All Gonna Be There, will be available wherever you get wonderful and bad books and the audio versions as well. And so leading up to the book, maybe even a little after the book, we want to start every episode with just giving y'all a little bit more information about the text, the beautiful, wonderful text that we have created for you. Okay. And for today's episode, I wanted to zero in on uh, a chapter and an essay that we have in the book about queer and trans language, black queer in trans language, right? So often we we talk about and we acknowledge the ways in which black people writ large, right, linguistically drive culture. But it's important to also zero in on the specificity, okay, of how black queer and trans folks drive black language linguistic culture and therefore linguistic culture writ large. Okay. Mm. And so that was, mm, you felt that? Mm. I felt that as well when I, when I said <laughs> it. Mm-hmm. It hit on something. I was Ooh. like, Ooh. okay, TD Jakes. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, I need to buy them. Okay. So we have a chapter, we have an essay in the book called A Lifeblood in and of Itself. And as we told y'all before, we interviewed a variety of different folks to contribute, you know, to um, the the understanding of how we as Black folks do what we do. Um, and in this essay in particular, we feature Shar Jossel, friend of the show, you know, Fanti MVP, Shar Jossel, okay, as well as Bob the Drag Queen is interviewed for this particular essay. And it really talks about, like I said, the ways in which Black queer culture ultimately drives Black culture, which drives culture at large, and therefore puts some respect on Black queer culture's name. Why do you keep looking at me like that? I'm just watching you go, because I'm looking at the script and listening. And so I'm like, oh, okay, I see what we're doing here. Okay. I mean, I, I'm doing what I'm doing, okay? <laughs> anyway, some of the terms that we feature in this particular book, terms, phrases, that we feature in this particular chapter. Obviously, we have tea, we have shade, we have reading, but we also have, you know, same gender loving, 
you know, as a, as a phrase, shout out sort of kind of to Cleo Monago um, for coining that particular term. We've got in the life, okay? In the life was one actually, Jared, that I actually think we should talk about really quickly. In the life was one of the ones that we didn't originally have on our list, if I'm not mistaken. But after we interviewed, if I'm not mistaken, Patrick Ian Polk, um, the legendary trailblazing Patrick Ian Polk, uh, and we were asking folks about, you know, terms that they remember only like black folks saying or black queer people saying. And I believe it was him who said in the life. And we were like, oh, yeah, we got to include that. Is my memory serving me correctly? Uh, probably not, but I'll take it. I, I, I do remember that the Patrick Ian Polk interview and like him saying things and us being like, oh, that's a thing. And I think in the life probably wasn't that. <laughs> Listen, it was fabulous. And so we have we have a variety of phrases here that you're going to, you know, we have some stuff from the ballroom scene that is important to to highlight and navigate. We talk about it's giving dot 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 and all of that. You know, Listen. It's going to give you what you need it to give you. And I want to say it's probably one of my favorite chapters. I also want to note that tea and receipts are going to be dictionary.com word of the day features uh, from dictionary.com and on their social media. And if you check out their Instagram page, you'll see Travell and I presenting those words um, in videos that we shot here at my house that were a lot of fun, but also like a lot of work. Well, don't give them, don't give them, don't give them all the, don't spoil the surprise. Well, I'm not showing them. I'm not inserting a clip or anything, but go check it out. Uh, it will we'll be on Dictionary.com's uh, Instagram and uh, on the app and all that different kind of stuff uh, over the course of the week of the release of the book, which is exciting to me. I We start off the chapter um, with, with descriptions for tea and shade because they feel like important words to kind of like get directly out into the conversation about what they are. Um, do we do we want to read the description of tea, the definition of tea? We don't. I think we should. Because they're going to get it. They're going to get it next week. Make them wait for it. Make them wait. Ooh, what, make them wait for it. Wait for it. What's, what song is that? Where do I get that from? Ooh, I think that's Hamilton. That's Hamilton. I, mm-hmm. I was going to say, the way that you gave shoulders <laughs> told me that it was musical, but I didn't know what you were giving. I, <laughs> make them wait for it. Wait for it. Like, what's happening? But, like, I, I also really appreciate this chapter, um, this essay, because we have this essay that uh, you wrote most of uh, called A Lifeblood in and of Itself, um, where we're talking about the ways in which queer culture has, Black queer culture has had such an impact on Black culture. And that is one of the things that I think is um, really uh what I enjoyed the most about these essays in the book is getting to kind of unpack the different influences that black culture has um, within it and how that goes in and influences the larger culture. Here we're talking about queer and transness, we're talking uh, queer and trans language, but we also have conversations around um, the black church and how that has informed black folks. And and I, I think it's just like a unique and special kind of conversation to, to kind of dive, dive into in the book. And I'm excited about that. Yes, yes, yes. So again, historicallyblackphrases.com is where you can go pre-order it. I'll also say right now, if you are in the Los Angeles area and you would like to come, you know, 
meet us in person and have a little fun with us on book release day, which is September 19th. We do have a little book event that we're doing at the Reparations Club here in Los Angeles. We'll make sure that there's a link in the show notes. You can also find the link on all of our social pages and whatnot. Um, But come out and, you know, have a little fun with us if you are in the area. So again, that's September 19th. Historicallyblackphrases.com is where you can go pre-order. Reparations Club is where we'll be doing the book launch event. And we hope to see you there. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get into a conversation around what we're calling digital blackface, but are a little bit uncertain about whether or not... With an asterisk. Right. It's it's digital blackface It's digital blackish face. I don't know. We're going to get into it. That's coming up next. Okay. <laughs> All right, beautiful people, guess what? It is cuffing season. And I know that typically that means, you know, you trying to find somebody that you can dip it and do it with who can hold you late at night. But guess what? It's time to just cuff yourself. And the best way to do that, it was with some wonderful, comfortable new linen, okay? From, guess what, the best people to do it, Brooke Linen, all right? They deliver crispness, the colors that you want, the comfort that you need. That way, whether you got you a man's or a they-thems or a woman's or not, okay? You can still feel all that cozy, cozy, coziness that we want from cuffing season. Brooke Linen is the inner that's famous there's so many there's so many beyonce moments happening here cuffing it and cozying it and and uh, i'm that girling it and all of it for brooklyn absolutely listen brooklyn's internet famous sheets have over 100,000 five-star reviews endorsements from the experts over at good housekeeping and Y cutter and they are made with long staple cotton for longevity and softness that's why we've been talking about them y'all heard us talk about brooklyn for a little minute now you know on this here podcast it's because we like them <laughs> you can grab a bed and bath bundle for a good night's rest and a new at-home spa routine you can save time and up 25 percent when bundling your new favorite home essentials experience the difference for yourself and check out brooklinen's new fall collection visit in-store or online at brooklinen.com and use the code fanti f-a-n-t-i for 20 dollars off your online order for 100 or more that's b Aura, O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, promo code FANTI for $20 off. Welcome back to the Fancy. So I'm really curious about how y'all are going to be thinking about this. Um, I'm sure you will let us know. I have a, a, a few particular white friends who are like, are doing something that's making me feel a little awkward. It's not wrong and it's not bad, but it does always make me go, huh, okay. So particularly one of them is always sending me black content. They're often sending me memes or things that they find on social media. They send me other things as well, but all, it's it's way more black content than I'm used to from a white person, right? And it's kind of like when you went to see Get Out and you saw like those different moments where audience members were laughing at moments where you were like, now why was that funny to you? Or why did you connect with that? Or what did that mean to you? Those kinds of moments where a white person is engaging in something black, but not necessarily coming from the same place from as, as the black person that they're sending it to. And you're starting to wonder what exactly is happening here. And 
are you sending this to your non-black friends or is this just to the black people or is it just to me? Right. It's one of those questions that has got me starting to think about this specifically. And like, especially as we're coming up on the book, when white people have been asking about like, oh, does this mean that I can use these phrases? Can I say these things? And we're having conversations about no. Right. About like about how the ways that you see these things or are educated by them or informed by them does not mean that they are yours to use. But also when we're thinking about social media and the things that we're sharing, starting to kind of think about. Are those things like, is it weird for people to, for white people to be sending these things to black folks? As I started talking about this with Travel, the conversation started to become about digital blackface as Travel was uh, referencing articles that have kind of discussed things adjacent to this. And it's part of the reason that we are a little bit anxious about calling it digital blackface, but it kind of feels adjacent enough to what we're talking about to be able to kind of dig into it. Travel, did I explain that well enough as far as digital blackface is concerned? I would expect you to say no because you typically would. I mean, well, listen, I just, I just always want to make sure that the people understand. I just, I want to make sure that we stay grounded, you know, in the community. Um, but no, I think yes, you, 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 you did, you did just fine. And I should say, um, at the top of the show, the, the, the kind of like first, like quote unquote, mainstream discussion point around like digital blackface that I saw was this um, Teen Vogue article from uh, I want to say it was 2017 that I'm going to pull it up so I can get the writer's name but it 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 really kind of situated this idea around sort of kind of what you were talking about with your white friend which is non-black people engaging with black memes, black gifts in a way that you know emphasizes perhaps certain stereotypes or expectations or understandings of particular moments in culture that that have now you know went beyond those specific moments and and can mean various things and so that is <laughs> that is that is that is why I brought it up in the example that you mentioned with 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 your white friend um I as everyone knows I don't I have one white friend in my life and he's always in a tenuous position. Uh, that's just, you know, that's what we all inherited, okay? It is what it is. Y'all weren't responsible for slavery, and I'm not responsible for him constantly being in a tenuous position with me. It just is what it is. <laughs> anyway. Wow. Anyway. But I have other non-black friends, right, who I have similarly been like, huh, why are you saying that to me? Like, what's you laughing at in that? Really, for the people watching on YouTube and maybe on Instagram, it's the face that you made as you said, why are you laughing at that? That really, really spoke to my spirit, more than the words even. That, why are you laughing at that? I know for myself <laughs> when I'm using GIFs, whether I'm in the in the group chat or if I'm in on Twitter or on social media, whatever it is, I tend to lean in the direction of Black gifts, right? I want to send a gift that has a Black person on it to express a thought as much as I can, more than I tend to send gifts with white people. Now, there are some gifts with white people that are expressing the idea. I often use like the speechless gif, right? Where he's like trying to say something and like just stops. And like, it's such a perfect gift. Gift I use oh, it. Oh, you used that on me last night. I used it to, I used it with you just yesterday, mm -hmm. right? Because you had said something and I was like, ah, ooh, mm -hmm. okay, fine. 
right? And so I love that GIF, but typically I tend to use GIFs that are you making an expression that I would be making or expressing a thought that I'm having. And they tend to be black GIFs. But I also think about it with white folks and I'm like, oh, when white folks are using black GIFs, why does it feel different? Right? Why does it sit with me in a way that feels a little bit more awkward if they're always doing it as opposed to like if they do it sometimes? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And it's it's it makes me feel a little bit awkward when I'm when I'm getting that from a white person and or from a non-black person, more so with white people than it is with non-black people. Cause I feel like my Of course. My non-black friends who are not white are engaged in culture in a different kind of way than I expect. I don't know. It's it's a very weird thing. Sure, sure. Okay, so then let's dive into it. Like, you know, we're going to do... The, this, this is our complex and complicado structure for all of the OGs um, who are, are trying to figure out what the hell we are doing. Uh, <laughs> so let's, let's, let's first start with one of the points you made was about, like, representation in gift form. And I remember, well, let me first say, the name of the article that I mentioned, the Teen Vogue article is, we need to talk about digital blackface in reaction gifts. It was written by Lauren Michelle Jackson. This is from August, 2017. I remember a period in time in which it was difficult to find gifts with black people in them. Yes. And I think with certain emotions, when you search your little gift keyboard, it still is difficult to find certain gifts with certain e- e- emotion that evoke certain emotions with black faces in them. And I'm sure this also, you know, shows up with with other races as well. A shout out to Jasmine Lawson, who's now um, doing work. Um, she helped. Um, she did some work for Netflix on Survival of the of the Thickest, Michelle DeButo's, um new show on Netflix. But before her time and before doing content work at Netflix, she was um, leading the Strong Black Lead team. And before that, she was at Giphy. Right. And her whole job at Giphy was to start diversifying, you know, their database with gifts of black folks. So I say all of that to then say when we're talking about the point around representation of black folks in gifts and you highlight this this occurrence with white people specifically, but also some non-black people of using gifts with black people in it in my mind okay in my mind i say if you are having to go through the same experience of searching for black people in gifts that i am having to go through to find those same gifts then you are being very intentional to find that gift in my mind Now, I haven't thought this all the way out, so don't hold me. Don't hold me um, a hostage, everybody. But in my mind, the white person, the non-black person, perhaps is doing the exact same journey I'm doing to find that gift. And there's a particular intentionality in that that, you know, makes an alarm of sorts go off in my head. But I think the point you made that is important here is ultimately around the frequency with which this 
happen? Like, is the white person in your life only using gifts about with black people in them? To me, that might be a, you know, slight little, you know, wrinkle in in the situation well so for her she's not only only sending me black stuff right but like she does send me a lot of black stuff and it's always like huh but to this point about the representation piece when we were discussing this in our meeting yesterday it reminded me that i've tweeted about this and i'm gonna put the, the tweet i'm putting the video there's a video that i made in this tweet that says thinking of ways uh black men are viewed in society and culture because of amy cooper this was right after the christian cooper situation that we saw happening in um in dc where the man was uh, a bird watcher and the woman was caught on film like crying on the police and like saying that he was she was being attacked and all this other stuff and now christian cooper has a great bird watching show um where he is fine as fuck and we can talk about that another day but in the tweet i said i just went to find a gif of black men hugging to send to a friend and almost couldn't find one we have so few images of us as loving compassionate human beings last week on the show or a couple of weeks ago i think it was last week i was uh giving a shout out to queen sugar and talking about the ways that i love seeing how they depict black people loving each other on that show. And it made me think about this again, because when I was looking for images of black people hugging, it took so long. I was scrolling for so long before I found like two black men hugging each other. And it made me think about like, oh, all of this comes from media though, right? Most of it is from film and television. And it makes me think about, we see each other, a black trans journey through TV and film, right? Where we're where in there, you talk about how unscripted television has really been one of the best opportunities for us to see other groups that are othered, right? And in this instance, obviously you're talking about transness, but also we see that quite a bit when we think about marginalized communities, right? And so it's such an important piece of this conversation that like we don't even necessarily have a bunch of images of two black men hu hugging each other. We don't have a ton of images in comparison to the way that we see that with white people. When we think about decades and decades of film and television and the ways that that has permeated culture and stuck with us and, and built kind of images in our mind. I think about Jay Shetty talking about how the images that we have of love um, or the thoughts that we have about what love is supposed to look like in our lives most times, oftentimes come from film and television, right? They come from media. We have these ideas of what love is supposed to look like and feel like and be like and how it's supposed to show up. And like oftentimes those images are of white people, right? Of white people in love, of white people walking down the street holding hands, of white people, you know, treating each other beautifully and going out on great dates and things like that. And you know what? This is perhaps why everyone should get a 2B subscription because... <laughs> Not an ad. I also do not have a Tubi subscription. However, I'm just thinking of... Oh, God. <laughs> I'm just thinking of the prevalence of... Not an ad. Of varied images <laughs> that is happening over on Tubi and the ways in which they might be interventions into this particular, you know, issue that we are discussing. Well played. <laughs> anyway. I mean, Tubi has definitely got some options for us. 
I mean, but I I think you raise a I think you raise a good point. Is like now that we've had we have more different places for us to be able to get content. The ways that we are able to engage that content and the things that we see on it are different, right? Like Tubi is known for having a lot of independent films that are licensed to be on the platform, and so it is different in a way that like Netflix is everything that has been licensed there tends to be at a certain come from a certain kind of studio or a certain kind of production house, whereas Tubi has a different kind of rule, a ruling, right? And like Amazon's Prime Video has a, a bit of a different kind of rule that allows different kinds of uh, independent films and things like that to be on. And like it gives us different kinds of imagery to be able to see and use and relate to. You know, I really just meant that as a joke, but I love how 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 you substantiated that. And, you know, you were like, well, let's let's run with it. Um, I appreciate that. <laughs> no, it's well, why not? No, it's real. Like it's a <laughs> No, yeah, it's a real thing, right? Like, I mean, I, I remember that chapter in your book so well because I remember thinking like, oh, yes, unscripted television is a place where we've been able to see a lot more images of of marginalized communities, right? Again, specifically talking about transness in the book, but like when we think about the ways that we were able to see different kinds of people, like if we think about The Real Housewives of Atlanta, for instance, right? Mm. Which that show is really based on uh, Desperate Housewives, right? Mark Cherry um, created Desperate Housewives on ABC and like they wanted to create an unscripted version of something like that. And that's how we got The Real Housewives of, of OC and then the, the 65,000 other franchises that we've seen come after that. And like it was interesting interesting to be able to see black women in this context when we had only seen women in the OC. And I remember, I think it was Kathy Griffin describing them as all having that same granite and all of them kind of having like the same kind of life. And then we saw these women in Atlanta and and Kim with that wig, right? And like in the way that Kim, Kim was kind of a part of that group, but there were all these black women who were living affluent lives and living differently than we normally get to see in real unscripted kind of ways. And like that started to show us different images. And I think now we have places like Tubi and uh, what's the what's the the one with all the shit on it that with with Hoochie Daddies and Zeus, right? Like we have like so many other platforms like those now where we're able to see images of Black folks that that aren't necessarily always quote unquote the best representations of us or like the ways that we want to be depicted because we're fighting, we're seeing, we're talking to each other in different kinds of ways, but like they're also real images, right? These are real things that happen and are kind of relatable in certain kinds of ways. Um, and so that's an interesting piece of this as we're getting more and more media. And I think about this as we're going into, as we're you know, months and months into this strike now, and we're probably going to see a lot more unscripted television on network television and in all these different places. It makes me wonder about like how that will impact culture as well. Another tidbit for 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 the OGs, you can always tell when when Jared is in professor mode when he's teaching, um, because this is a compliment, by the way. Before before you before you do your face, before you do your face. <laughs> Um, cause I'm nervous. No, you can all, I, I, let me say, I can always tell when you are back in the classroom because the, the way you connect various things is the way a professor connects things, right? Trying to like come up with, um, and you do this normally, but you do it more, um, more prevalently. Mm -mm, that ain't it. Uh, you do it more often. Mm, there we go. You do it more often. <laughs> When I feel like you are like 
thinking in like teacher professorial um, mode, which is like, you know, connecting different things and coming up with different, you know, examples to like illustrate what you're saying. But to get us back to what we're talking about here, one of the things that popped up in my mind when we said we were going to have this conversation about the eyebrow raising that happens when white people, non-black people, you know, send us, whether it's black memes, whether it is black, you know, gifts specifically, is how much of our reaction and our eyebrow raising is our shit, you know? Is our trauma manifesting as, you know, this consternation mm, mm-hmm. around this witch? Because cause Sally Mae could not be thinking <laughs> twice, right, about, you know, the gift that she is choosing, which is not to, to be clear, which is not to ignore the very real realities of unconscious or subconscious bias and other isms and phobias that might be rearing its head even in, you know, that type of decision-making. But how much of our feelings in all of this is just our shit, our trauma coming to the surface? I would say that the vast majority of it is, right? Like, I don't know that it's all of it, right? Because there are certainly, like, things to consider when we're having these moments of, like, yeah, but this person has also done X, right? Or this person comes from blank. Or I remember they said blah, Mm -hmm. right? But, like, oftentimes it is really, like, our shit, right? And, like, the thing that we're bringing to the conversation. But, like, Mm -hmm. we also know that there are elements of it that are not. And I think about this all the time. I I was having conversation with a, a family member and discussing how I had experienced something that happened when I was a kid. And, like, their immediate reaction was, like, defensiveness about, like, well, I, well, I, and I didn't, and well, what about, and, like, their part in that story. And I was like, okay, but you're making this about you, right? And, like, you not being wrong or you haven't done this or the reason that you... And I was like, I'm not talking about that, right? I'm not, like, accusing you of anything. I'm more so, like, talking about what my experience was of it and how it, like, came out to me, like, and how it impacted me. And, like, similarly with these things, like, there are moments when I'm like, I think I might be being extra here, right? Or I might be hearing this in a way that is really about where I am or what I'm dealing with or where I'm coming from. But sometimes it is some white bullshit or it is some bullshit that came up from the person or things like that. And I feel like I'm always like interrogating that in my own mind. Like how much of this is my shit and how much of this is something that mm. really was intended in the way that I received it. Yeah, I feel like that's a slippery slope though, right? Like that 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 finagling, that internal wrestling is like a slippery slope because it 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 can take away or like give um give a pass, it can give a pass to to behavior that that is questionable. Right? Because it could it could be both things, right? We can walk gun we can walk and chew gum at the same time. Like it can be, you know, sure. Consternation generating and also be our own shit (laughs) you know like it doesn't have to be an either or and i feel like maybe it ends up being just like a case-by-case situation um but that is why mm, mm -hmm, that is why 
we have to always go back. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> the spirit just landed on you. I saw it. This is why we have to always go back to the art of the follow-up. Mm-hmm. Because mm. when you send me something, mm-hmm. you know, particularly if it's a meme that, that you're laughing at, and we don't come from perhaps a, a shared, you know, cultural um, experience, mm-hmm. a great follow-up question perhaps is, what is funny about this to you? Well played, friend. Well played. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Can, can we hang out there for a second? Because that can also make a moment that there was, when there wasn't one. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. That can make something awkward Absolutely. in a way that it didn't need to be. <laughs> when it's like, oh, honey, I just thought it was funny. It's like, Hmm, but why? But why? Where did that laugh come from? <laughs> exactly. Let's really dig into what's underneath that cackle, right? Like, it's like, it's a different kind of thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it definitely it definitely can create a moment and probably will create a moment uh, that, that perhaps is not necessary. But I would say... If you, if, if we, if you are the person who is going through this and you are feeling this way consistently, right? And having this question consistently, there's got to be something, something somewhere has to be amiss. And how do we figure out where the amissness is? If we don't ask the follow-up, right? It doesn't, you know, we, it doesn't take us anywhere else, Right? Because, and, and, you know, maybe your non-black friend isn't going to tell you, oh, I thought this was funny because you blacks are always, you know, carrying on. <laughs> They're not going to say that, right? Perhaps. I mean, hopefully, right? But, you know, if, if those feelings keep coming up, some, something is there. Because I would also imagine that there are white friends or non-black friends that those things might pop up in culture. And it's not, you know, like the thought doesn't come up that it might be problematic. Like I have a non-black person in my life who has been sending me a lot of memes and clips from Big Brother, specifically as it relates to Miss Felicia, who's the, the older contestant, one of the older contestants. Um, and she's, she's somebody's black grandmother, somebody's black auntie. And so she's like in the kitchen cleaning up, giving her grocery list to production, being like, we didn't, li- we didn't like that deli meat. We want this other deli meat. Can you get us some Lowry's? We need some seasoning salt. You know, very much like that. And it is funny. And it is funny, absolutely. And I don't feel no consternation around that per se because, you know, Big Brother is this broader cultural moment, right? And like, we're all taking it in in a particular way. But if there were to be something else, right? If if this person were to send me, I don't know, Hoochie Daddy's clips, you know, <laughs> I might, I might, I might feel a little differently. You know what I mean? I do not know. I think the point that's coming up for me here is like, 
really it becomes a question of like, why is this relatable to you? Or like, what is it that you're relating to in this moment that makes this extra funny and and made you think like, oh, I need to send this to this person, mm. right? Like to say this to them or to engage this with them. Um, one of the converse situations that you brought up in our production meeting that I would not really been familiar with. Wait, you wanted to say something else before I move on. Go ahead. The thing that had popped in my head was also the, the follow-up question is, you know, is, is what we've just said, but also how, what about me made you feel like this was something to share with me that we would have some sort of shared kiki about? Mm-hmm. All right, that's it. Keep going, keep going, keep going. It's like, I, I'm, I hate me right now for this, but I hear Bobby and Whitney, we got something in common. And I'm like, but what do we have in common here? You know? I hate me for it. Um, one of the things that's adjacent to this that you brought up in our production meeting that I found interesting and did not know about was this person on TikTok named Pinky Doll, oh. who is a black woman who has been doing videos. And people recently found out that she's been using a filter to like lighten herself. Yeah. And can you kind of explain that as like kind of the inverse or converse or reverse or something verse so on tiktok are these people who do i think it's called like npc or something like that and it's like they take on these characters and they be on on tiktok live and every time you know somebody gives them a gift or does a certain thing on the platform they have like a reaction to it and one of the the at least popular to me people who do it her name is pinky doll and she is this you know blonde haired individual um, who is, you know, doing this character. Yes, yes, yes. Hmm. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. You know, that's the, the character that she has. Okay. I've just learned about this. Yes. Okay. And recently, I want to say it was a couple weeks ago, there was like some, some social media event. Maybe it was the streamies. Maybe it was, you know, one of those types. And she was there as a presenter and she's a darker skinned woman of color. I don't know if she black or not, but she's a she's a darker like she she you know, she is verifiably black in whatever culture she comes from. Like she's and by which I mean she's when in um when when Langston Hughes said, I think it was Langston Hughes, I am the darker brother. Is that the quote? She is the darker sister. Anyway, I'm not touching that. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, my point is, I'm doing it. I'm taking very long to explain this story. This is wild. Anyway, she is, she showed up to this event and people were surprised because they had only ever seen her on TikTok, not knowing, I suppose, that she used this filter that made her very, very light skinned, not white. You could tell she was not white but very, 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 very light-skinned it did. And so it was just like a a reveal of sorts, if you will. Um, And I was bringing this up because I was like, it just dropped in my head as we were talking about um, the ways that digital blackface, quote unquote, can manifest. This not being that, this being something that maybe is, is the opposite, that maybe is the antithesis of, um, but the ways in which, you know, it really gagged the girls on social media, right, to see, you know, the difference, you know? 
I appreciate that you're saying like this is the antithesis, the the reverse, inverse, converse, whatever of this, because like in class last week or something, right? In class last week, we were talking about privilege and bias and racism and and we were talking about how black people can't be racist and, and why that is and different things like that. And like this could not be digital blackface because she's a seemingly a black person who is lightening her skin. So it's literally the reverse of that. Um, but it's also like a, it's a weird thing to like try and name or understand. And I'm actually really curious. I wish we could talk to her about this because it makes me wonder like, what was she thinking going into this? Stop trying to create more work for me, please. And thank you. Well, we have producers, but like, I am more so thinking about like, what was she thinking going into this moment? What was she thinking about? Like, was she thinking like, oh, people are going to know I'm lighter? I would imagine she was thinking about this. I don't, I don't, I do, I'm unsure that it was a reveal, like legitimately in that way. Like I, I, I do, because she's got other videos on social media without the filter, the filter. But I just think people, maybe people just didn't go to her page. Maybe they just had seen the lives or whatever. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure if it was like an, you know, an intentional, uh, what's the word, miscalculation, misdirection, mis, misdirection. I don't know if it was intentional on her behalf to like be like, I'm a darker skinned girl, so I'm gonna lighten myself for this character and da 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 da. But. You know, I just thought it was 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 interesting um, as we're talking about the ways that, you know, black folks, black people and culture are showing up in online spaces. Um, um, we probably should get the hell up out of here, though. Paul Mira is saying that people online are calling it um, light fishing, which light fishing, light fishing is interesting language there. Mm. I'm I'm intrigued by that. I just want to touch on this really quickly before we go to break. Yesterday in our meeting, we were talking about how there are some things that are adjacent to this feeling of like, what was that about, right? And we've kind of touched on them over the course of the four seasons that we've been doing this show. One of them is like, this feels kind of adjacent to the mainstreaming of marginalized communities, right? We've talked before about the ways that we see uh, the example that we used on the show was when you go to a gay club and we see like a lot of straight people starting to embrace those spaces, right? Whether they be straight men or women or not binary folks or whomever it is that identify, I guess, that identify differently, right? Like then the people that you expect to see in that space, we see that happening in gay club. Cause I definitely messed that up now. You did, you, you did. You say straight people go into the gay clubs. Well, right, but then there's also, like, inclusion of, of other communities that are not just gay, but yes. Uh-uh. Straight people go into the gay clubs. You can simplify the conversation. They know what it is. When we see those spaces that were for marginalized people or for, for com specific communities starting to be embraced by other communities, then it's like, huh, well, what do you identify with here? But also, like, it makes it feel less safe in those spaces. And it also kind of feels adjacent to, I, I was giving you the example of, like, when you're you're getting into a, a ride chair, right? And like you feel very clear or you witness that they change the station to to a hip hop station or something that they think black people would want to listen to. Mm -hmm. And it's like, now why did you do that? Now now what was happening here? Cause like I wasn't mad at the Miley Cyrus song that was playing, but now like I don't know what this is. Or you like assume these things about me or whatever it is. It feels adjacent to those kinds of moments. And like it's it's just 
it feels those awkward moments of like, I don't know if this is something to address or not, or to ask a follow-up question or not and make it awkward or weird or whatever it is. I mean, I just feel like, you know, if you're going to, and th- this should be the, the, the rule of the follow-up is if you're not prepared for what the response will be, don't ask it. <laughs> I think that's a great place for us to go. We want to know what y'all think. Hit us up on social media. Use the hashtag FansiFam. You can hit us up on all the social media at FansiPodcast. That's Twitter, X, Instagram, and TikTok. Um, coming up, we're going to get into your letters. One of y'all got us together about something that we said on the show last week, and I appreciated it. That's coming up next in listener feedback. No, they didn't. They did. They kind of did. They didn't. I feel like they didn't. I feel like there was some pushback. Yeah, but they didn't get us together. Well, they really hated you, is what I wanted to lean into. Let's go to the break and we'll come back. But I feel I we'll be back. <laughs> Throughout history, sirens have captured men's attention, enticed men with their feminine wiles, and fulfilled men's primal needs. The sirens yeah. allure. Uh, they persists. have not. Unless the primal need is I need to be smashed on the rocks. Yeah, sm- smash me. Smash me, mommy. Smash me, mama. I smash me, mommy. <laughs> <laughs> the sirens alone. <laughs> Why do we strand- do this to ourselves? Strand me, baby. Strand, strand me, mom. baby. So, yeah, this is my brother, my brother, me from Maximum Fun on Mondays. It's just like that. Just like that, but more. It's just like that, but more of it. There's, there's this. More of that. Video games can make you laugh. They can make you cry. They can even make you sing. We're the hosts of Triple Click. It's a podcast about video games. This is an exciting time for new games from Diablo to Final Fantasy. From Starfield to Street Fighter. From Zelda to, oh, who are we kidding? We're just going to talk about (laughs) Zelda. Whether you play games or you just like hearing about them, we've got you covered. Find us at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. Welcome back, beautiful people. We are going to get into your listener feedback. First up, we've got an email here from Jacob. This is the one that Jared says um, they got us together, quote unquote. Um, And this is in response to the conversation we had last week um, about um, the Jamie Foxx situation. Jacob says, when black Jews and other Jays of color are left out of conversations like, why is this historically black phrase being received as anti-Semitic? It reinforces twin lies that one, Jewish people are white, and two, black people aren't Jewish. Those are the lies that make, quote, you think that was anti-Semitic because you're white, seem like an appropriate response. The response falls apart under the weight of what's true. Many Jews are black. Many black people are Jewish. Please bring black Jews into conversations about perceived black anti-Jewishness and Jewish anti-blackness, a way too common thing fed by the misperceptions. So you feel like he got us, that they, excuse me, got us together. Say more. 
Well, I don't, maybe Got Us Together is overstating it, but I do think that, I remember on the show, season one, we did an episode, we did a series of episodes called Proud to be an American, question mark, where we talked to Mm -hmm. um, different people that are in different marginalized communities about their experience of like patriotism and whether or not they feel like they are uh, embraced as like, you know, American. And like, we spoke with, is it Soraya McDonald, I believe that we spoke with? And we talked to her about Mm -hmm. being a black Jewish person. And like- Mm -hmm. It this brought that back to me and making me think like, oh, oftentimes when I'm having conversation about uh, Jewish communities, I do often think of them as white folks, but I forget that there are also black Jewish people. Um, and in that conversation with Jamie Foxx, I hadn't thought about that again um, in that in in the discussion that we we're having around the ways that mm. uh, that community was responding to to Jamie's statement. So when I saw this, I was like, oh, good point. I hadn't thought about that. Mm. OK, well, then let's just correct your statement to say that Jacob got you together, because from my vantage point and what I was communicating, and it was, in fact, you know, a a a repetition of what black Jewish folks that I saw on social media articulating around this particular statement. Um, this includes Michael Twitty was was one of the main people um, that I saw as well, who's a, a fabulous um, um, chef and author um, and does a lot of work actually at the intersection of blackness and Jewishness. Um, and I forget the other, I think two or three names, but the, the, that idea that that whiteness was the wrinkle in the understanding of that particular phrase is not something that was void of input by black people who are also Jewish, Jewish people who are also black. That's my clarification from my vantage point. But thank you so much, Jacob, for getting Jared together and reminding him of that particular intersection. We've also got an email here from Sterling. This is actually in regards to one of our OG episodes when gospel music slaps and it leaves a mark. So shout out to Sterling and everyone else who's going back into the archive. There's a lot of rich, rich conversations um, that we've been doing on this show. So Sterling says, now, Jared, I'm not doing this with you. Got me out in them streets, getting the Apple Music Too Loud warnings, playing Thank You by Walter Hawkins. It's on repeat the first 30 minutes of my walk before Fanti to get me going every morning because I am thankful for all I have and the life I made for myself. But I know it did not come without favor and blessings. And this episode literally hit home for me and about And about the time I also discovered your podcast, my brother passed away and I went back to our own, to our little town, Quincy, Florida for his funeral. The following Sunday, I also attended service with my family. And as it was around or near Black History Month, the preacher gave a sermon on how far we had come as black people. But the message took a sudden turn when he began to, when he began to expand on how black folks don't know who they are anymore with sexual perversion and being influenced by white people in Eurocentrism. I was gagged. So when it came time to introduce visitors, someone pointed me out. I introduced myself, and although I was polite, I showed out. My brother used to run the fundraisers for the church, and he always phoned me to help meet the yearly goal. I pointed out that I was my brother's secret weapon, secret weapon big mystery donor. It was also me who was gay, living in a predominantly white county, 
country where I had to learn the language to pronounce the street where I lived and furthermore took great offense to what he'd said. I don't think I'd ever been more proud of myself that day and pissed off at the same time. The preacher, well, he was just pissed and I think shamed, but I didn't care. Next year I will donate, sent in a pink envelope and address it in <laughs> address it in a note that says, quote, sissy donation. Church is a part of our DNA as black people in America, but we often forget who gave us God. Well, their white Jesus version anyway. I'm going to leave that there for another show. <laughs> I know that's right. <laughs> Lot to unpack here, um, probably more than we have time for. I want to push back on who gave us God. Well, their white Jesus version anyway. Well, that's what he that's what he said. White people didn't give us God, but they definitely gave us their white Jesus. So, yes. Um, one yeah, yeah, I yeah. Um, one of the things that is interesting to me here is uh, you talk about how the preacher um, said that black people don't know who they are anymore with sexual perversion and being influenced by white people in Eurocentrism. And like this makes me think about one of the things that's been coming up for me lately and like I feel like working in a black focused association like an ABJ, you meet all kinds of different black people all over the country um, doing this kind of work. And I find it interesting because I've started to know that like there are different kinds of black experiences for folks that some of which that are not validated by black people. Right. And so we have these moments where we say something is not black. And like, I'm, I'm, I, I do this as well. Right. Like, Oh, you eat this. That's not black. Oh, you put sugar in your grits. That's not black. Oh, you, you know, don't eat greens. That's not black. Or you don't eat hot sauce. That's not whatever the different things are, whether they be food, culture, language, you know, the way you dress, where you live, all those different things. And we have like this idea of what is black and what is not. And like, in this book that we wrote, we are talking about the ways that black people have used language uh, within community. But we're also really clear that like we don't get to decide what is black and what is not. And I think that we limit blackness so often with saying like, oh, if you're black, you eat your grits with butter and salt. Right. But like we limit the possibilities of what blackness can be and what black people can do. And I think that I that first started with me with language and the ways that we speak and being told that like, I talk like a white person because I didn't talk black enough and because of the way that I speak. And I want to hear someone like this preacher talking about how black folks have um, forgotten who we are because we're being influenced by white people in Eurocentrism. It kind of implies that black people weren't queer. Um, in before we came to the United States, that black people did not did not uh, live lives as trans. It don't apply that. That's what he said. <laughs> well, I mean, you know what I'm saying, right? It it says that like we were not queer, we were not trans, we did not we were not bisexual, we did not have anything other than heterosexual identities, and that limits what blackness can be or what blackness is or how blackness shows up. And I'm I'm like really committed to to breaking that and, and pushing back against it. Um, the only thing I will say is. You know, I I always find it interesting. Um, this person saying that they're going to donate again next year and do it in a pink envelope with sissy donation written on it reminds me of this thing that happened in um, and just like that, in which Professor Morning Show uh, paid for this very expensive uh, um, um, uh, uh, stroller for her ex husband's mm -hmm. new baby with this white woman. And y'all are better than me. 
because I ain't giving my, I'm only giving my money to very few and specific entities that hate me or don't like me or like, you know, I ain't trying to prove with my coins, okay, my my deliverance or my benevolence or whatever, but y'all are better than me and I love that for you. Thank you so much, Sterling, for your email. I know who is on that list. I know Chick-fil-A is one of the places that you're okay with supporting the bigotry. Yes. Are there other places that I don't know about? The chicken is just so good. No. Well, I mean, I am a... Keep going. Keep going. I, I can't... <laughs> just keep going. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you know, my position on this is like, I'm not boycotting shit I like. Yeah, but so to be clear, it, unless it's like a real boycott where we're like really going after someone, but like. To be clear, I was talking more so in a institutional, organizational type of context, such as a church, not necessarily such as, you know, businesses, although many churches are businesses. Um, nonetheless, Let's get to our dishonorable mentions, okay? These are the stories of people that caught our attention this week that deserve a call out either for their good or their foolishness. Jared, take it away. All right, so first things first, I want to give a shout out to Living Single. I eat your brain, and I'm going to start talking gold teeth and fangs because that's what a motherfucking monster do. Wow. Uh, if you know, you know. Keep going. Indeed. I want to give a shout out to Living Single. Uh, Living Single is celebrating their 30th anniversary of the premiere of the show. And I, if, if you know me well, you probably know that Living Single is my number one sitcom of all time. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, you can... I thought it was Will and Grace. It's Living Single and then Will and Grace. Will and Grace cannot go number one. No shade. Mm -hmm. If you are looking on YouTube, you can see that I have the pillow here. They sent out these boxes to folks uh, to celebrate the 30th anniversary. Um, and I want to give a shout out to all of the people over at Living Single who have like really influenced and impacted and shaped culture for so many people. Um, and I'm just, I I'm incredibly proud of the show and like its longevity and the ways that it's continued. Shout out to Yvette Lee Bowser, the whole cast and all the people over there. Um, and I also also want to just say that we need a reunion we need a reunion for this show with the entire cast and the team that put the show together um we've not ever seen all of the cast together since they uh ended the show um even in that last season we didn't even see the whole cast together um warner brothers we got a friends reunion and we know that living single is based on friends and we want the reunion we want to be able to see these people together we want to be able to hear their stories and we want to be able to hear what they experienced while making the show and why the show ended the way that it did and why we haven't seen that cast back together I think it's important. I think it has great value for culture and great value for business. But I think it's really, really important that we we get a, a, um, a reunion from Warner Brothers and Living Single because in a time where we're talking about the importance of blackness and wanting to be diverse and all this other stuff, like I want to see this reunion happen and I want to see it go out into the world. And I want to host it too, low key. Like, let's just be honest about it. But like this, this reunion is important and I want to see it. What? You have something to say. I saw your face doing all kinds of things before I move on. I have nothing to say. Go on. <laughs> Um, I want to give a shout out to Sarah Jakes Roberts and the team over at the Potter's House in Dallas. This weekend is going to be Woman Evolve. It will be their biggest conference, bringing together about 40,000 women in Dallas um, to be a part of this, this great conference where we're seeing uh, Sarah Jakes Roberts, the daughter of, uh, of T.D. Jakes um, and uh, assistant pastor there in Dallas. We're seeing them put on this extraordinary event. Woman Evolve had 
3,500 people at it last year, and this year we'll have 40,000. Um, and I'm really, really excited for them and proud of them. So shout out to the whole team doing that, um, that are putting together Woman Evolve. I hope you all have a great weekend. What? 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 Nothing. Keep going. You can't. You can't. Keep. You can't make a face and then be like, keep going, friend. <laughs> Nothing. Those are the mentions for me this week. <gasps> okay, I just have one mention, and it's a dishonorable mention. Oh. Delta Airlines, don't you ever play in my face <laughs> like that ever again? Okay. I now I'm not. I'm not gonna go beat by beat because we need to get the heck up out of here i'm not gonna go beat by beat okay what i will say is they are very lucky that the day that i was experiencing the travel issues that i was experiencing was september 10th okay because i remembered the anniversary that was just the next day and i was gonna say some things out loud that you can't say at all in an airport, let alone on the anniversary. Or take back. Or take back, right? <laughs> but I was at my wit's end with that there airline, okay? You don't got too many times left to be playing in my face, okay? I know that there's been a whole lot of travel issues happening this season, they say. I know there's been, you know, staffing shortages and weather issues and all of this other stuff. None of that was to blame for the issues that I experienced. And you don't got no one more time. That's it. That's all I got. All right. Before we move on, um, for people that are watching on YouTube, I do have a quick question. I, I think you have a humidifier on, but it looks like it might be incense or weed. I just want to address the smoke that we see moving, the, the, the thing that we see moving through the screen. You didn't have to address nothing. No, I've seen it all, all episode, and I'm like, I, I know somebody's wondering what it is because I am. Do you want to tell people what it is? You didn't have to address nothing. <laughs> it is a humidifier. My, uh, my eyeball doctor... My eyeball doctor said that I should get a humidifier in the places of my ap apartment where I do the most work in hopes of um, not straining my wonderful eyeballs um, and drying my eyeballs out in hopes that that will cut back on the migraines that I have constantly. Since you must know. Interesting. It's a, it's a health thingy-majiggy. Anyway, okay, now it is time for... Black history is happening every day. This week we are talking about Anne Lowe. Anne Lowe was the first African American to become a noted fashion designer. Her most famous designs were for her first lady Jacqueline Bouvier when she married JFK in 1953. And her work was popular amongst upper middle class women for over five decades, up until she lost her eyesight at in her 70s in the 70s and had to retire from the fashion world. She died in 1981 from a long-term illness. It was announced recently that Lowe's work is the subject of a new exhibition at the Winterthur Museum Garden and Library in Delaware, a museum that focuses on American antiques. There was a recent article in the Washington Post by Rachel Tajjan, I believe. Hopefully, I, I mean, I probably butchered your last name, Miss Rachel, but it was written by Miss Rachel, T-A-S-H-A. 
J-I-A-N. We'll put a link in the show notes um, so that you can check that out um, about this woman. Um, and in her piece, she said that Lowe's designs are described as having a very Americanness to them with designs that are, quote, glamorous, but they share a triumphant sense of pragmatism even in their embellishments. So shout out to Ann Lowe. We speak your name. We speak your name uh, during New York Fashion Week. Um, want to let you know before we get out of here that we have got a, f- a couple of different things happening. If you're here in the Los Angeles area or going to be on September 19th, we are going to be at the Reparations Book Club for our book launch event. It's going to be a small thing. So if you haven't RSVP'd yet, please do so because it's going to fill up. Um, we're going to have a lot of fun with some people who are in the book with us and having some discussion. Do we want to say what we're doing? Yes, because as soon as they click on the link in the show notes, they'll be able to see what we're doing. We're doing a special edition of Jeopardy. We're doing like a black Jeopardy moment. Jared and I have written the clues. Um, We will be hosting it. And then we have three friends of the podcast, friends of the Fanti fam, friends of Historically Black Phrases, friends of Jared and Trevell, who will be leading teams that we have. We have Michael Chen, who was on that gospel episode that we just discussed. He will be joining us. And then we have have Marquis Richardson, um, who is an actor, as well as Tiffany Boone, who is also an actress. We've um, spoken so much about Tiffany in particular on this show. Um, And Marquis is also a good friend of the family. So come on out. Have some fun with us. That's September 19th on Tuesday when you all are hearing this. Link in the show notes. Jared also mentioned that this coming week, we have a partnership with Dictionary.com. Historically Black Phrases has a partnership with Dictionary.com. So on their social pages, on their website, in their newsletters, you'll be able to see some videos that Jared and I created for two terms that will be the Dictionary.com word of the day. They are also terms that we have in our book, Historically Black Phrases. And so you'll see, you'll hear a little bit of the definition we gave it as well as the definition dictionary.com gave it and so you can check that out this coming week and then last but not least I will be in Boston next weekend in the Boston area next weekend doing a book event for We See Each Other, A Black Trans Journey Through TV and Film with all she wrote books in that area. So if we have any Fanti fam listeners who are out there and you're interested in coming to Kiki with me about my wonderful book, you can do that as well. We'll have a link in the show notes so you can get all that information there uh, for that one as well. That is going to do it for us this week. We appreciate y'all and all the love and support. If you are watching us on YouTube and you're like brand new to the show and you're like, what was that when the gospel music slaps episode thing that they're talking about? That's not on YouTube. That's one of the first season of Fanti. You can check out all four seasons of the show on all of the different streaming platforms, wherever you get your slay worthy audio, go to fantipodcast.com for more information on that. If you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, or you want to get Travel together about something else that they said wrongly, wow. you can hit us up in our email fanti at maximumfun.org um, you can send us an email there if you would like to support the work that we are doing here at fanti you can support us by becoming a member at maximumfun.org slash join our music is brought to you every week by Reese. that's c-o-r dot e-c-e wherever you get wonderful and slay worthy music our graphics are by Ashley Wynn and the folks over at Moonhouse Creative our editor is Anne Marie Huber and our producer is Palmira Muniz Our singer producer is Laura Swisher. This is a production of Maximum Fun.
Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows supported directly by you. No, the people, they're going to cut this into a clip and we're going to put it on social media and the people going to see your behavior. Don't try to gaslight me. <laughs>